Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I love the smell of night in the morning. This is where the fun begins. I don't want them to gain another yard. 620 CKRM is proud to be your official voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and your home for the hottest sports show anywhere. It's a new era for sports talk in Saskatchewan. Welcome to the Sports Cage with your host, Michael Ball. I love the smell of minus 50 in the morning. Love it. Hmm. Sean Kleisinger here. It's episode two of our Sports Cage Year Review shows. I'm sitting in all this week and next week. And then uh, to kick off 2023, well, I'll tell you what. A big announcement coming up next week, I believe. uh, Next Tuesday, one week from today, a big announcement will be coming on the Sports Cage. So uh, just uh, circle that on your calendar. It will knock your socks off. It will knock off your brand new socks you get for Christmas. Man, I can't wait to unwrap some new socks, huh? It's the season. So uh, today's show is brought to you by Saskatchewan Lotteries, the main fundraiser for over 12,000 sport, culture, and recreation groups. All guests appear on the Western Pizza Hotline. This holiday season, give Western Pizza gift cards because you know it's the gift that always is in good taste. So the big news of the day before we get into our best of clips, Touchdown Atlantic, baby. It's returning. The Toronto Argonauts and your Saskatchewan Rough Riders. They're heading off to Halifax on July 29th, 2023 at St. Mary's University. So uh, wouldn't that be a nice Christmas gift? Now, no, the tickets are not on sale yet, but I was kind of thinking. Imagine if you put like a card under the Christmas tree that said in it, hey, these are your future tickets to Touchdown Atlantic. And then you give that to whoever you want to, you know, give the gift to. And then that way you don't have to spend a dime on a Christmas gift this time around. How about that? I think I'm onto something here. So uh, this is going to be fun, though. Husky Stadium in Halifax will be the spot. This was actually the original location of the 2020 Touchdown Atlantic game that was, you know, written off the map due to COVID. And uh, fun fact as well, Husky Stadium in Halifax, it was the location for the first ever Touchdown Atlantic game back in 2005. Do you remember that one? It was a preseason game between the Argos and Ticats in front of over 11,000 fans. Now, I don't remember that game back in 2005, but I do remember a certain game back in 2005 for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I'm getting off topic here, but uh, it was a weather-delayed start time between the Riders and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers at Taylor Field, and I remember Corey Holmes ran back the opening uh, kickoff for a touchdown. I remember that because I was sitting in my dad's car waiting for the gates to open for like five hours it seemed like but uh yeah so it's gonna be fun touchdown Atlantic back for another year and by the way this year's TD Atlanta game uh, CFL weekly newsletter subscribers get early access to tickets before the general on sale in the spring so uh, make sure to sign up for that uh, if you plan on heading out east to watch the riders this year I know Michael Ball and Luke Mullinder are looking forward to it that's going to be fun July 29th 
2023. All right, let's get this thing rolling. We had a lot of great conversations in 2022, and we have a lot to get to on the, today's show, by the way. I mean, we're going to hear from Victor Quee, the president and CEO of the Edmonton Elks, to kick off the 5 o'clock hour. Cole Sillinger of the Columbus Blue Jackets. There's going to be a whole lot of stuff coming your way. Mark Johnston won a whole lot of money for making a hole-in-one earlier this year. No, I'm not quite sure if he's received that money quite yet. Hmm. Seems fishy to me. We're going to hear those memories coming up in the 6 o'clock hour. But first, how about a 1986 Stanley Cup champion with the Montreal Canadiens? It was a... uh, Kind of a sad time earlier this year because Montreal Canadian great Gila Fleur passed away, but uh, his one-time teammate Chris Nyland played with Gila Fleur for a bit, and then Chris Nyland went on to win the 1986 Stanley Cup with the Montreal Canadiens, and we had Chris Nyland on the sports cage uh, to talk about Gila Fleur's passing. Here's Michael Ball with Chris Nyland. Um, this guy grew up in Boston as we head out on the Western Pizza Hotline. Uh, he played for the Habs. Now, I'm not a big Habs fan, not going to lie to you, but one of my favorite tough guys was Chris Knuckles Nylon, and he joins us on the Western Pizza Hotline. Much like you, Chris, you played for the Habs, but you grew up in Boston. You probably hated the Canadians when Lafleur was in his heyday. Did I ever uh, hate them? Um, you know, they just, uh, the Bruins could just never um, get by them. And, you know, honestly, a lot of times, the Boston Bruins shot themselves in the foot. And, you know, they just took too many stupid penalties a lot of times. And the Canadians certainly took advantage of it. We saw it when Guy scored that goal back mm-hmm. in oh, 79. I was heartbroken again. But uh, too many men in the ice. Hee-haw. They had two, two other They had two guys on the ice. <laughs> and John D'Amico let it go for close to... I think 15 seconds, 10, 10 seconds. He was trying to, he was hoping someone would get off, and then he finally had to call it. But uh, shame on them. Yeah, that's the that I'm a I'm a 49 year old guy. That was my first real memory of Gee watching it about seven eight years old. Him flying down the wing, tying the game. I was cheering for the Bruins and Don Cherry, but it wasn't meant to be. But so were you a Bruins fan? Uh, a casual Bruins. Like I was a Bruins fan, but then the Oilers came on the scene. I became an Oilers fan, but I did like the Bruins. I Ray Bork, all the guys, Cam Neely uh, through the years. But Chris, Chris, oh. tell us the story in '79 because you were drafted in '70. 19th round by the Habs and you went to watch some practices uh, you know watch them practice in the semifinal yeah. situation and you ran into Guy and the guys outside of the ring tell us that story yeah you know we went to my uh, friend of mine and I went to the practice saw uh, the, the Bruins and then the Canadians and we come out afterwards and you know Lafleur and Lemaire and Lupien were all in the corner the three L's yeah. and um, you know, we pulled up and uh, Franny said, why don't we give them a ride, you know, see if they want to ride over the high emergency in Cambridge across the river from Boston. And so we pulled up and asked them, hey, do you want to ride? And they kind of looked, you know, we're in a Lincoln, um, 79 Lincoln <laughs> Continental Mach 5 and it was white, that leather seat. I mean, he looked like a gangster, Franny, right? He was Irish as ever, but he looked Italian, so he looked like a gangster. And... <laughs> They were like looking like, are we going to get in the car? We may never make it to the game tonight. And we might lose those rings we got on our fingers. Anyway, 
they hopped in and we're driving. And Franny says, you know, this guy's a hockey player, blah, blah, blah. And Franny's busting their balls, you know, telling the bees are going to beat them, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So the guy, uh, LaMaya said, oh, yeah, where you play hockey? I said, play here at Northeastern in uh, college here in Boston. I said, next year, I said, I'm going to be playing with you guys. And he goes, oh, yeah, how are you going to do that? And I said, well, I got, got drafted by you guys. He said, no way. I said, yeah. He said, uh, what round did you get drafted? I said, the 17th. Well, the three of them freaking started laughing like, you you know, I, I couldn't believe them. What are they laughing at? Like, I just, I didn't know. I mean, today, you know, you bring, you know, your, your whole family, your friends, everybody goes to the goddamn draft with you. No one did it back then. And I didn't even know about the draft, really. You know, I, 17th round, I might as well have been in the second round, the first round. It didn't make a difference to me. I felt like I got drafted, so I have a chance, just like the guy in the first round had the chance. Right. So, um, you know, and, and then we dropped him off and see you later. Then I came to training camp next year, and LaFleur looking at me, and uh, we're in the room, same room. And he's looking at me, looking at me, and he said, ah, hey, hey, you. And I looked, I said, yeah, what's up? He goes, Tabernak, it's you, the kid from Boston. Oh, yes, it's you, it's you. I said, I told you I was going to be here. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> I, I'm telling you, yeah, like it was yesterday, I remember that. And, and you know, later on, Lupien did the same thing to me. And then LaMea was over in Switzerland, and he came back from Switzerland, and we went to lunch one day, and he said to Larry Robinson, he goes, Larry, who's the, who's the kid who's doing all the fighting, the kid in Ireland? And said right over here so Larry come over he said Nux he said listen uh, Jacques wants to say hello and he said hey Jacques how are you Jacques goes tell him that guy. oh my god it's you the kid from Boston you said you you said you were going to be here I said I told you I was going to be here that's awesome hey, so but it was funny I, I'm telling you it, 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 it just was so funny and it was awesome to be part of this organization I got to tell you it was just um, it was a dream come true to be in the National Hockey League and not be a Bruin and actually be happier than uh, uh, you I know, could ever be. Uh, you know what and crap. Yeah, so uh, Chris Nyland joining us here in the Western Pizza Hotline. So tell me the story. Uh, I, I read about it, but I want you to express it, uh, verbalize it here for my listeners. So you get called up. You went. You got sent down to the minors, but you get called up, and Guy Lafleur and you are practicing just you and him on the ice. Tell me about that. And then, and then he takes you to lunch. Gee, baby. Yeah, tell me just about that. Yeah, and you know he, um, you know I got called up and they had a day off. So it was a Monday, and they had a day off, and uh, I had to go and skate at in Verdun. And I showed up in Verdun, and uh, who's there? Guy Lafleur. He was just coming back from injury, and the two of us were out in the ice, and you know he introduced himself to me. We skated, passed pucks, shooting. It was incredible. Like it just me. And Keith Lafleur, it was crazy. The year before, I, I'm hating on this guy. Uh, I can't stand him. He's he's ruining my my Boston Bruins chances for a Stanley Cup. And then I'm out there on the ice with him. Uh, you know, he he helped me with my shot. He passed pucks. Why it took one time as all these. I mean, he helped me with my shot. I don't, I don't think it worked too good, but uh, he, he tried. And. Um, you know, he talked to me about how important skating was that, you know, in the NHL, you got to, um, you know, certainly improve on that. So he, he was awesome. Then he took me to lunch that day and uh, we went to Thursday uh, upstairs, the restaurant. And I, I'm telling you, I couldn't believe it. And I, 
it's funny. He said, come on, let's go to lunch and we uh, jump in. I think he had the Corvette at the time. And I, I, I'm thinking, God, I'm driving to, <laughs> to lunch with LaFleur. And to think last year I was driving at lunch and I'm going to Thursdays with LaFleur. And last year I'm driving to lunch. I'm in college in an old beat up Montego MX with Joe Mahoney going to McDonald's, you know? <laughs> and here I am <laughs> with LaFleur and, you know, I walked in that place, and geez, everybody was like, you, you would have think Jesus Christ himself walked in. And I, I just understood then just um, you know, how passionate the people were about uh, not only oh, only Gila Fur, but hockey, but Gee. I mean, it was like, it, it really was, like Jesus Christ himself. And, mm-hmm. and, and those people loved him, and he had the time for everybody. He, he, he signed autographs, he took pictures, he, he chatted with people, and, and not just that day. Every day thereafter I've been around him, I've never seen him once turn his back on anybody uh, when it came to uh, giving them the time of day, signing an autograph and taking a picture, and I mean that. Uh, to all them charity hockey games I played with him, and uh, on the helicopter, you know, I flew with him to Boston, I flew with him to Quebec City, Mm-hmm. Up to Thurso, uh, when they uh, put the big statue in his hometown in Quebec, flew up in the helicopter with him. Uh, he, he was so awesome. You know, he treated me like uh, an equal. And, you know, here's this superstar, megastar icon. And, uh, you know, you know, sometimes them superstars, they're on a different level, and sometimes the, the old ego can get in the way. Hey. Not with this guy. Uh, he, he was just... Uh, what a wonderful human being absolutely loved him he's a good friend I stayed in contact with him I went over and visited him uh, you know last year and I was with him the day before he got his diagnosis uh, I was by the house there um, mm. and and I had coffee with him a couple of days myself and my friend Rob McDuff who was actually his co-pilot that taught D to fly and you know I would go over and I, I'm telling you um it's just a wonderful guy, and it's so sad because just a God, you know, so young, 70 years old, and, you know, you just, uh, you never think. Everybody says, time's going to fly, time's going to fly. You're playing hockey, your career's going to fly, it's going to go by like that. Well, it does, and here he is at 70, still, you know, today, God, 70 so young, and mm-hmm. it's just a shame, that, uh, you know, the have when I think of the greats of this organization in Belleville, and they were shot and and now Guy. Those three there, these three Quebec icons are gone, and it's just so sad. So, Chris, last last question. I, I you know I I'll never be like you. I'll never be on a nice surface with with all the players you played with and against. But if you could, for my listeners, what was it like to sit on the bench or even be in practice and just see this guy effortlessly whiz by the bench? Like I can't imagine sitting on an NHL bench like today. I watch McDavid and he flies. Well, Guy Lafleur was McDavid before McDavid, except his hair was flowing in the wind. What was that like to watch him rip by the bench? Yeah, it's unbelievable, you know. And and listen, um, you know, I I played with him for five years. I was with him the night he retired. He drove me to the airport and ended up, you know, riding off into the sunset. And then I was with him again when he came out of retirement in New York. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, uh, uh, it was just awesome. And all the the times I seen him before that, and you know, here I was on this bench now with him, and um, 
to see him uh, work his magic and score those big goals, man. It, and and I grew up in Boston, man. And, and as a as a young kid sneaking in the Boston Garden, and for the first time seeing Bobby Orr, and for the first time seeing a man bring a whole building to their feet, it was awesome. And the, the, the next time I saw that, it was when I was in Montreal with number ten, and and to be sitting on that bench. Being not not now in aisle, not I didn't have to sneak into the forum like I had to sneak into the garden, and to see Guy do it, uh, and the chills, and just it, he was such a good teammate. And like I said, you know, I used to get to the rink every day for an eight o'clock game at four in the afternoon. You know, once I woke up at home, I was awake. I couldn't stay around the house and just you know listen to music or whatever. I had to. I got in the car and I went to the forum. Four o'clock, I got there. I come in there, and he was already there. Hmm. And he'd be taping his stick, and then he'd go in the, the director's room and grab uh, some potato chips and a hot dog and have coffee and uh, get ready for the game. He'd be the, he was there at like three o'clock, five hours for a game every day, and like talk about getting ready to play and and and. <laughs> In making a day of it, it that's, he did that every day. He was dedicated. He loved the game, and he was just a natural, you know. You know today, and and even in our time, guys, you know, man, you get into systems, and you're a systems player, and you gotta, you know, everything is so rigid. Yeah, not with flower, you know. Give me the puck, go play, and that's what he did. And uh, he, he was one of the best ever at it. So, um, yeah, we're going to miss him. It's a sad day yeah, yeah. in Montreal. No question. For sure. Well, thanks for taking 15 minutes out of your time. I know it's been a, a busy day. Uh, had a lot of interview requests. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. And, and I, I really enjoyed this conversation. And maybe one day I can catch up with you again because you got a lot of stories. And uh, I love it, man. You're a great storyteller. All right. How's old Saskatchewan out there? I love it out there. I've been out a few times. And- uh, Preston Drummond, a friend of mine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, things are great, man. We got that young superstar, Connor Bedard, who is uh, lighting it up in the hockey yeah. world at 16 years old. So uh, yeah. we get we get to watch him every night. So it's it's pretty good out here. Yeah, well, we're hoping to have uh, suck as bad next year so they get a shot at this kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're they're holding up their end of the bargain. Let's put it that way. Hey, uh, yeah. Chris, thanks for this, man. We'll talk to you again, okay? All right, be well. Appreciate that. That's Chris Knuckles Nyland. What a story, man. That guy's a great storyteller. We went a little overtime, but hey, could have talked another hour with that guy. That was Chris Nyland chatting with Michael Ball earlier this year, remembering the late, great Guy Lafleur. Chris Nyland. Just love that guy's accent, by the way. That Boston accent? I wish I had one of those, uh, one of those accents. Uh, I remember the first time I encountered one of those accents, uh, I went to a Blue Jay game at Fenway Park in Boston and I walked in the front gate and I was looking for game day programs and the first thing I heard like behind my shoulder was like get your game day program here get them here <laughs> and then I looked the other way and the guy's selling hot dogs they call them Fenway Franks there and the guy's like hey get your Fenway Frank hot dog here and I was like holy smokes I had to like put my hand over my eyes and be like okay yeah I'm in Boston here this sounds a whole lot different 
uh, South's Chris Nyland joining Michael Ball on the Western Pizza Hotline. We're just getting this episode two underway, Sports Cage Year in Review. Uh, coming up next, we're going to hear from Darius Blanick before uh, the big Grey Cup game here in Regina uh, just a few short weeks ago. I guess that's, uh, hey, how about that? One month ago today. It's December 20th today. The Grey Cup was on November 20th. That's coming up next. You're listening to the Sports Cage for Saskatchewan Lotteries on 620. The Sports Cage is your locker room pass. We're talking riders on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. Stay on the ground. Why not? Dylan pounding his way for a touchdown. Second and goal. Dylan again. He's in for the touchdown. Second of the night for A.J. Dillon. He had completed seven straight prior to that. Second down and goal. Here is Jones out on the edge. Touchdown. And we'll make sure he was in. Oh, he was in. He was in, Joe Buck. That is a... a beautiful sight yesterday. I know, I know, they're the 4-10 and LA Rams, but the Green Bay Packers uh, beat the Los Angeles Rams 24-12 to on Monday Night Football last night. So the Green Bay Packers, they're sitting at 6-8 and now. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yes, you are, because the Packers' uh, <laughs> playoff hopes, I was going to say Grey Cup hopes for some reason. I think it's because I got the Grey Cup on my mind coming up next year. But the Packers' playoff hopes are still alive. They they still need a win out, and they need some help. But uh, that win yesterday goes a long way. Now they got a big uh, Christmas Day game coming up here against the Miami Dolphins on Sunday in Miami. It's the first time the Packers have played in Miami since 2014. Now, if you remember that game, it was kind of like the fake spike game. Remember, uh, it was the final drive of the game. Rodgers was going left to right on your TV screen. He fake spiked it, and then a game-winning touchdown pass in the corner. Bottom corner of the end zone, Andrew Corliss. Packers beat the Dolphins on that day back in 2014. But anyways, your sports cage clutch performers today, going back to last night, has to be Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. I mean, they combined for three big touchdowns yesterday. So uh, today's sports cage clutch performers for uh, Nick Service in Emerald Park, your local Massey Ferguson, Challenger, Rogator, Gleaner, and Fent Dealer can give them a call at 781-1077. And yes, I mentioned the Grey Cup. It was one month ago today. It's December 20th today. Well, the Grey Cup was on November 20th. And a former Saskatchewan Rough Rider was a part of the Toronto Argonauts going into the game. And uh, we chatted with them uh, before Grey Cup Sunday. Here's Darius Bladdock. You know, uh, it's something that we always, you know, every player wants to achieve it. But coming here, coming back to Sask, a place that um, I started, a place that I I didn't know was going to be called my home when I came to the Combine here, you know. Uh, So it's really full circle for me. It's exciting. It's something that I want to get done here uh, with Sask. But now we're going to get it done in Sask. Is there anything about your game that changed after you left Saskatchewan when you went to Toronto? Yeah, um, I went to go train with uh, Duke Manyweather. 
So I took what I had from Coach Soros here, you know, which he did a really good job uh, with me, developing me young. And then I went to Duke Manyweather down in Dallas, Texas, a destination Dallas, and uh, working with him and just really being able to grow my game, really being able to be confident in my sets. And, you know, the older you get, you find how important that is, you know, to feel real confident and get into your spots, you know. But, uh, yeah, when I, when I was able to get to Toronto, I was able to really, like, just let that go, be able to take that next step and really grow into whoever I am now, you know? One thing that Jeremy O'Day said this year, that offensive line, especially in tier, get really better with age. The, the back end of their careers are really successful. Do you feel that, you know, that interior linemen get better as the years go on? I, I, I do believe that there's something to that, 100%. You know, every year, um, guys that I worked with, you know, guys that I learned from, Brandon Labatt, you know, Dan Clark, these guys, you know, no matter how great people spoke, they always found something they were getting better at. There was always another step, you know, and I, I believe in my career every year that I have, like, it was very big for me to take another step, to go and find that next piece, that extra tool in my box. Um, and the older you get, you just, you know, you're fortunate enough to stay healthy, you're fortunate enough to keep playing this game, you get to keep adding tools to that box, you get to keep adding more and more. So I do believe there is things that come with time. Looks like you're one of the leaders on the team, or you can be I don't know you do that on purpose, but to the first guy out there to celebrate touchdowns with the first guy. I know that's your personality, but is it is it fun to play with this team like that? Oh man, it's a blast. I I, I love my guys, man. They they're great. You know, they're they're honestly great. Um, there's so many personalities and there's so many people from different places like most teams you know but we have found such a groove with each other I do hang out with all the groups it's not just one group I'm not just with my guys I'm normally hanging out with everyone even defensive backs they they know I'm always chilling with them too so how's the transition from living in Regina to living in Toronto hey, big difference you know <laughs> I'll tell you it's it's not easy on the pocketbook <laughs> we're gonna figure this out in that new CBA one day but uh, well, maybe we'll make it, we'll just house it based on the living places. But it is it is a really big difference, you know. You know, you go. I think my little borough I stay in, Liberty Village, has the same amount of people that you know Regina has in its own. So it's kind of crazy when you put that in perspective. But yeah, it was it was a big difference. You know, I was born in North Jersey and I was raised in Florida, so I wasn't uncomfortable being out here and being wholesome and amazing, amazing, great-hearted people that really made this place home for me for three years um, and it's not a hard transition going to Toronto it's kind of reminded me of like as if I like was an adult in Jersey if I was like living in New York City you know so it, it's been a fun transition that's the voice of a great cup champion that's Darius Bladdock uh, leading up to the big game at Mosaic Stadium of course the Toronto Argonauts defeating the Winnipeg Blue Bombers 24 to 23 the final so the 11 and 7 Toronto Argonauts defeated the 15 and 3 Winnipeg Blue Bombers to uh, claim Grey Cup 109 and uh it was an honor. It was an honor to be at that game. That was uh, some kind of finish and uh definitely one of the best memories of 2022. We're going to head to break here on the other side. Ballsy sat down earlier this year and chatted with longtime WHL broadcaster Bill Wilms. And we're going to relive that conversation coming up next. You're listening to the Sports Cage for Saskatchewan Lotteries right here on 620. Nobody covers your team like our team. This is the Sports Cage on the mighty 620 CKRM. 
by longtime WHL broadcaster Bill Wilms, who's also in the golf business, golf and hockey. That's a great life, my friend. Well, especially if you're up there the way I am with more years uh, behind me by far than ahead of me. So I love it. Love every minute of it, to be honest with you. 2,300 and uh, plus games, 2,311, 2,312, 2023 seasons, man. Uh, Does it feel like just yesterday you were starting to broadcast games and do that type of thing? Well... You know what, uh, you know, Michael, it doesn't feel like yesterday, to be honest with you. There's a lot of water under that bridge. But here's what's interesting. It feels just as exciting. It feels just as good. It, I feel just as fresh. I mean, I'm working a game Friday night here. Uh, you know, we've got Victoria in Vancouver. And, uh, yeah, no, no, I mean, a lot. When I think about the guys that I've, you know, broadcast and, you know, the Memorial Cup that, Vancouver went to in, in 06 and won in 07 and when I think of doing the Memorial Cup in 99 with uh, Sportsnet the first year that they were on the air I mean that seems like a long time ago but like I said uh, anxious as heck to put on the headset every game Alright so before we get to some of the great players you've seen over your illustrious broadcasting career let's talk about the Vancouver Giants what are the prospects for that team this year? Well, you know, it's always a process. It's always, uh, you know, um, uh, something that you're you're wanting to see happen uh, because you're not definitely a team that's been stacked for this year. You haven't really built for this year. Um, you went through some growing pains. And, you know, the big thing, too, Michael, when you're talking about teams in the Western Hockey League, you're talking about players aging in. And aging out, your your seventeen year olds last year are eighteen year olds this year, and your twenty year olds last year are gone, and uh, you know. So you really want to see what you got. And honestly, really, I, I am always concerned at this point with with uh, all the teams in the league with two things. You know, the the nineteen year olds this year basically, and the twenty year olds have missed a whole year of development because of COVID. Uh, you know, the shortened schedule and and just not getting as much you know many reps in. So. Well, it's a still a bit of a, a process to see, you know, who's developed, who's kind of hit a roadblock a little bit, uh, you know, like that. But Vancouver would be competitive. And, you know, there's a lot of teams in the league that, that build not necessarily to win a championship, but to contend for one. And the Vancouver Giants are such a proud franchise that, uh, you know, they, they want to feel every year that they can contend for something special. And real quick, having Trevor Weichman back, or Jesper Weichman, sorry, from Las Vegas will be a big factor because you build your team from the goal out. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Bill Wilms joining us here. Great uh, long-time broadcaster out West. Okay, so hi, um, like, is there a team under the radar or a surprise team you think of from the West that we should keep our eye on? You know, uh, it's hard to say. Uh, you know, Kamloops, obviously, being a yeah. Memorial Cup host, Yeah. Um, unfinished business last year as far as they are concerned. They lost to Seattle in the Western Conference Final. Um, and, you know, their theme motto and their song is taking care of business. Uh, the, you know, the trade deadline will be a big factor as to see what, you know, what they do. But I, I think they're a lock or just about a lock for first place in the BC division. Is there a, a surprise team? I'd, I'd really keep my eye on the Kelowna Rockets. Um, you know, they were second last season. They had a first-round loss to Seattle. And, again, that, that whole thing about aging in and aging out, uh, I think, might affect them more than probably anybody. They're a real good team. They return a lot of good players. Um, other than that, 
Michael, I don't know if I see anything oh, upset worthy. Uh, you know, to be honest with you, you get a short window. You get about two to three years to really to do well because of the yeah. whole process of you know graduating players and that. And obviously, Camlips is right in that window, and uh, Cologne is in that as well. And I, I think they make make some noise to at various times to, you know, maybe unseat Kamloops, I think, are the favorite. But the other three teams are all under 500 last year. You know, Vancouver and, and Prince George and, and Victoria. I don't think anything will jump out at you there. What do you make of that Bedard kid we have here in Regina? Well, you know, I haven't seen him play in real. I know you haven't, yeah. Gonna, yeah. You know, we're going to see him twice. Uh, we're going to see him in the prospects game. And we're going to see him uh, when Regina gets here. Um... Okay, let me tell you, he's an unbelievable shooter. I mean, there's nobody who'll tell you different. That's what separates him from all players. And there's a lot of guys that can have a great release point when they shoot, but they don't have great velocity. And, and there's other guys that can shoot the puck hard, but they don't have a great release point. This guy has it both. Uh, his release technique is outstanding, and his velocity is unbelievable. And you know, when they talk about possibly trading, I don't know what you guys say in Regina. What are you hearing about hearing about a possible uh, trade? Uh, you know, I'm 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 thinking the ownership group will, won't trade him. I think it's important for them to hear with the first overall pick from the Regina Pats, the whoever takes Connor Bedard. I really I I don't know if that's the right approach, but I think they're going to keep him around. Well, let me tell you what I think real quick. Any picture of Connor Bedard hosting the Memorial Cup trophy in any other uniform, in this case probably a Kamloops Blazer uniform, if that's where he was going. In my opinion, it would tarnish everything his image has created in Regina. To see this kid raising the cup in any any other uniform than a Regina Pat uniform, and you know Michael, that's not going to happen. But that would just be just, it would be just devastating to me in terms of the reputation of the Regina Pats and Connor Bedard. Bedard. It wouldn't make sense for me. I'm talking personally. It wouldn't look good. And um, to be remembered as a Memorial Cup champion, if that should happen, as to be opposed to a Regina Pat player from start to finish is what I expect to happen with him. But my gosh, is he special. Yeah, he is a great player. But you've seen a lot of great players, Bill Wilms, in maybe no particular order or put them in order. Give me your top three junior hockey players that you've seen with your own eyeballs. Well, now you're talking a lot of players, obviously. You know that. Right. Um, In no particular order, and then I'll try to sort it out real quick. Uh, Ryan Getzlaff from the Calgary Hitmen. Yeah. Uh, Mike Madano when he was with Prince Albert Raiders. Uh, Jerome Iginla. I remember the first game that I ever did in, in Kamloops. We didn't know, was it Iginla? Was it Iginla? <laughs> was it Iginla? How the heck did you pronounce this guy's name? Well, he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, Patrick Marlowe. Um, Evander Kane with Vancouver. Brendan Gallagher with Vancouver. All right, here's my... Here's my two favorites that I've seen play. Now, I didn't have the opportunity to broadcast Bobby Clark in Flint Flon. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, if I had to, he's my all-time, let me put it this way, he's my all-time favorite hockey player. 
I saw me was 16. I was in Winnipeg. I was playing in North Dakota. I became assistant coach there. And um, I recruited from the Western Hockey League. You could go to college from the WHL. And I remember trying to get him. Um, he quite apologetically said to me, you know, Bill, I'd love to go to college, but I've only got grade 10. Um, how did that work out for <laughs> Yeah, uh, no kidding, no kidding. Uh, you know, so, so Bobby Clark, Bowen Byram is my, is definitely in my top five favorites, top three favorites, Vancouver defenseman. Michael, he played defense, and I saw him when he's 15, 16, 17, 18. He's a defenseman, right? When he played defense in his own zone and had the puck, he was the best defenseman on the ice. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing that separated him from all other players in our league. When he went in the offensive zone, which he had the green light to do ever since he was basically 16 years old. At 15, he didn't. At 16, he did. He had the green light. When he went in the offensive zone, he was the best forward on the ice. Wow. I never saw, I've never seen a player, a defenseman, that when he crossed the center ice line and went in the offensive zone was the best forward, in skill-wise, without a question, most dangerous. And when he had the puck in his own zone, he was the best defenseman uh, on the ice. So Bowen Byron, for sure. Bobby Clark, for sure. i got to pick another one, don't I? Yeah, pick one more. Patrick Marlowe. Wow. Um, yeah, Patrick Marlowe was a 16 rookie in Seattle when I started in the league. I watched him when he was 17, watched him when he was 18, watched him when he was 19, uh, watched him play at San Jose. And in the Western Hockey League, uh, to this day, I haven't seen anybody move through the neutral ice area from blue line to blue line with the elegance, the speed, the power, if you will, than Patrick Marlowe did. And uh, I remember one night in Winnipeg, real quick, he yeah. scored that he, he wasn't playing well at all. And, and this is the thing, you still had to put him on the ice. I think we're playing, uh, well, it didn't matter. It was in Winnipeg. He, uh, pardon me, pardon me, let me go back. It was Edmonton, sorry. Yeah. He scored the 8th, ninth, 10th, and 11th goals of the game. And I had to pick a number one star, and I hated it because he had a terrible game. Wow. That is crazy, man. That is crazy. Uh, okay, so uh, Big Zidane Chara. Uh, retires. And I'll tell you what, you've listed so many great guys that, you know, really uh, the, the WHL used to have the slogan. I don't know if they have it anymore, but I use it sometimes to talk about youth sports football players. The stars of tomorrow today. And really, that's what it was when you think about it. And that's why I like Western teams rolling into what was then the Agrodome when I was growing up with, you know, Grant Fear, Mike Vernon, and those kind of guys coming through. Because you only saw Ginlan these guys once a year. Year. They only came through once a year and once every other year if their team didn't roll through the West. So you, you loved when they came through. But, you know, you, you take Chara. What what were your first impression, uh, impressions of Zdeno Chara when you saw him in the Western Hockey League? A building with skates, man. Yeah. You know, when I saw the numbers on him, you know, the, the stats and the size and and, and and the weight and all of that stuff, I kind of thought, you know, we're going to look at, we're going to see Bambi on ice here. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't the case, and you know, it's always tough when the, when you, when the game gets faster and your body gets bigger. That's a massive challenge for a lot of guys, and it really doesn't always matter any sport, but especially in hockey. I it sure didn't take him very long to uh, to adjust, and he became Prince George, you know, their best defenseman, very very quickly. 
he, he was massive. He was strong. He covered a lot of ice. And he had that reputation of maybe he's tough. And he got challenged one night. I'll never forget it. I think it was Tony Mohegan, if I'm not mistaken, from Seattle. And, boy, it was a it was an unbelievable scrap that he had. And it was a one-punch knockout. And, <laughs> you know, from that point on, everybody else was afraid of him. I mean, I mean figure it out. When you're, you know, what is he, 6'8"? And when he was on skates, he was, uh, yeah. you know, he's close to seven feet. But... His NHL career is just, I think, you know, phenomenal. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I was glad he won a Stanley Cup. I, You know what? I thought, okay, this guy's hanging on too long. But I tell you what, he had that long stick. He didn't look out of place. I think uh, he retired respectfully. You know what I mean? Some guys hang on too long. He was it just perfect. It ended perfectly for him. Yeah, I, I mean, you know what? With that, with, you know, the, closing the gap, controlling the gap in uh, – in hockey is so important from a defenseman standpoint. I mean, the person that controls the gap between the forward and the defenseman is basically the defenseman. And I mean, when you're as big as he is with as long a stick as he had, I mean, he could force plays in the corner of the rink. I mean, every time. And you just, you know, you just could hardly skate around the guy. And, uh, you know, he made a presence. I mean, I, I don't remember, a, you know, he doesn't, I can't remember a ton of stuff from Zdeno Chubb, but what I do remember is stuff that you can't forget. And needless to say, I, I, I did follow him a lot in the, in the uh, National Hockey League, and uh, I wasn't surprised. And when, when did he retire? I wasn't even just, on top just, of that recently. Just, just a few, you know, just a couple weeks ago, yeah, one day contract to retire as a Boston Bruin. I thought it was cool. Wow. Started with the Islanders, yeah. started with the Islanders, went to Ottawa, went to Boston, ends with the Islanders, and then retires as a Bruin where he won the Stanley Cup. Hey, Bill, we're getting a little short on time, but I got to squeeze this in, okay? As we talk right now, you're getting ready to go watch your 11-year-old grandson play hockey, so I'll let you go. But I, I'm, I'm interested to talk into a well-spoken, well-traveled announcer like you that's uh, seen everything in hockey. With what's going on in Hockey Canada and with a young grunz, a grandson that I just referenced, are you concerned about that? And does it tarnish how you look at the game? You know what? The, the, the short answer is is it doesn't, um, to be honest with you. I mean, you don't want to be in the middle of any kind of damaging allegations. You know, this is extremely serious stuff, obviously. But, you know, for me personally, it's been jarring. It, it's been a real whack. It's like, really? I mean, is this really what it's up to? But, you know, uh, you know, I've been so close to the game of hockey for so many years. You know, not, not really from the minor hockey standpoint, certainly from the junior. And... and the CHL is such a wonderful, wonderful product with so many fine people. And just kind of to wrap that up, I'd say for me, as I said so often, and I'll continue to believe this, you know, it's not what you get out of playing hockey at the level that I've been involved in. It's not what you get, it's what you become mm -hmm. by doing so. And this hasn't changed for me. That's a good way to put it, Bill. Thanks for your time, man. Take care. Enjoy the golf course because you're in a great neck of the woods and enjoy your grandson's hockey game. I appreciate you guessing with me. Hey, my pleasure, Danny. Where Saskatchewan sports fans come to talk. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Ah, uh, yes. Enter the Sandman. Enter the sports ticker for Bronco Plumbing and Heating, where professional service is guaranteed. They'll treat you right, 781. 
2090. It's 4.54 here. And uh, the big news of the day here in Ryderville, well, there's a couple points. Uh, Touchdown Atlantic is returning. The Toronto Argonauts and your Saskatchewan Rough Riders will head off to Halifax on July 29th. 2023 at St. Mary's University Husky Stadium in Halifax will be the spot. This was the original location of the 2020 Touchdown Atlantic game, but uh, that was written off due to COVID. And uh, this is actually the site, too, of the very first ever Touchdown Atlantic game back in 2005. It was just a preseason game back then, but uh, uh, it's going to be fun to go back there. I know Michael Ball and Luke Mullinder, they're going to be uh, excited to head back out there on the East Coast in the Maritimes. And uh, this news as well in Ryderville today. It looks like the Saskatchewan Rough Riders have found the coach that will replace Kelly Jeffrey as the team's running backs coach, according to Herb Zerkowski of the Montreal Gazette. Andre Bodoc is uh, set to join uh, the Rough Riders coaching staff as the team's next running backs coach and uh, probably pronouncing his name wrong. Uh, you know, I wish I was French in this scenario. I don't think I'm pronouncing it right. Andre Bolduc, uh will be, looks like, the new running backs coach for your Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And uh, there's a lot of other news and notes. Check this out. This is kind of funny. Uh, this is so 2022, by the way, with over 60 million likes and counting. Lionel Messi's victory post following the FIFA World Cup uh, has overtaken the record egg to become the most liked post in Instagram history. So no other post in history of Instagram has more likes than uh, Messi's uh, victory post over 60 million and I'm looking at it right now it's over 65 million so it surpasses literally a picture of an egg for some reason a picture of an egg had over 60 million likes uh, don't ask me I don't know why uh, billionaire Matt Ishbia is purchasing the uh, Phoenix Suns and Phoenix Mercury for four billion dollars he's agreed in principle to sell uh, so Robert Sarver has agreed in principle to sell. So uh, Ishbaya, by the way, was a national champion on Michigan State's basketball team in the year 2000. Uh, hey, that would have been right around the time our own Luke Mullinder attended Michigan State. That's a good uh, question to ask Luke next time we have him on. And uh, hey, Blue Jay fans, guess what? This is exciting. 100 days away until opening day. Take me out to the ball game. Yes, 100 days away. It's nice to think about since it's like minus 55 outside. Think of some baseball. Eight games across the NHL tonight. All-Canadian matchup. The Ottawa Senators are in Winnipeg to take on the Jets. The Jets placed uh, forward Blake Wheeler on injured reserve today, so they'll be without him for the remainder of the season, it looks like. The Flames are on the West Coast in San Jose, and the Maple Leafs are at home to Tampa. That will wrap up Hour 1. It's Episode 2 of the Sports Cage Year in Review coming up here in hour two on the other side of the news the president and ceo of the edmonton elks just a great individual love talking to this guy michael ball chatted with victor Qui, and that's coming up at 505 right here on the sports cage for saskatchewan lotteries on 620 it's time to step into the radio octagon you're tuned to the sports cage on saskatchewan sports radio 620 ckrm all right, I'll tell you what, I hope it warms up for Santa Claus on the weekend. This is way too cold. Imagine how cold it is up in the sky for old St. Nick. Absolutely ridiculous. 
minus 35, minus 40 or something. Don't go outside if you don't need to. That's Zinger's advice for you on this Tuesday. And it's a Tuesday for Saskatchewan Lotteries inside the sports cage, the main fundraiser for over 12,000 sport, culture, and recreation groups. It's uh, episode two of our best ofs in 2022, and I'm just trying to find something to watch here. How about the famous Idaho Potato Bowl? Absolutely. Count me in. Who do we got playing here? Eastern Michigan is taking on San Jose State. When I uh, watch these games, I like to think about um, some of the old players that used to play for these teams. So San Jose State, the first guys that come to mind would be Jeff Garcia, old quarterback, of course, of, of the Calgary Stampeders, and then San Francisco 49ers, Philadelphia Eagles. He went to San Jose State. And uh, former Packers receiver James Jones went to San Jose State. Eastern Michigan, this is going to be a tough one. Uh Old Packers offensive lineman T.J. Lang went to Eastern Michigan. Uh, I believe Max Crosby, the stud defensive end for the Las Vegas Raiders, went to Eastern Michigan. And as well, uh, I can't remember his first name, but offensive lineman Nielsen, uh, he was taken by the Edmonton Elks in the Global Draft a few years ago. I believe he went to Eastern Michigan. I'm just getting my brain exercise in here. Uh, what I don't physically work out often, but I make up for it with brain exercises. I like this one. So uh, glad that you're with us uh, here today on this uh, Sports Cage Best of Episode 2. I'm just trying to find the text line because I had a nice text here. Tommy and Davidson said... You've guys got to get Chris Nyland on the show again ASAP. He's absolutely incredible. Well, I think that's a pretty good idea, Tommy and Davidson. We had a Chris Nyland to kick off the show. If you missed that conversation, uh, you can find it on demand wherever you find your podcasts because uh, Chris Nyland is uh, a stud individual. That Boston accent was uh, chef's kiss. So if you missed that convo, it will be on demand wherever you find your podcast. But uh, enough of me, enough of me yapping. Like, what am I even yapping about here? <laughs> Let's get into the next conversation. Speaking of the Edmonton Elks, I mentioned uh, Steven Nielsen, who was taken by the Elks in the global draft a few short years ago. How about let's talk to the president and CEO of those Edmonton Elks. Michael Ball chatted with them earlier on this year. Victor Kui joining us on the Western Pizza Hotline. Our next guest is Victor Kui, a breath of fresh air in Edmonton in the CFL with the Elks, their president and CEO. And I know he's a good dude because he met the time requirement. He called us right on time. Hi, Victor. How are you, my friend? Uh, very, very good. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Of course I'm going to call on time. What, you think I'm going to miss this opportunity with you guys? Well, you never know, Victor. The Elks were pretty late all year last year, man. It was dressed like a seat night. Nobody was coming to the games. Uh, I know some of it had to do with the pandemic. It was a three-win It was a three win situation, but Victor Quee's on the scene, and things are turning around. I'll tell you what, 4,000 season tickets in a couple of days. Uh, you guys unveil the double E logo, which, man, I'll tell you what, I hate the Edmonton football team as a Saskatchewan guy, okay? EE stood for Evil Empire, but that (laughs) logo, it did, but that logo needed to be back in the CFL, so thank you for doing that. What brought you guys to that decision to bring the double E back? Well, you know, it's funny that you say that, but I think you touch on something really interesting there. It is not about those two letters. It's not about that vinyl sticker on the helmet. It's not about the colors of green and gold. 
It's not even about the design. To me, what it was, it was representative of how I feel as a fan and how how you feel as a fan, of how it made you feel, right? And to I, I wanted to do something that tipped my proverbial hat to our rich history that I'm so proud of that paid respect to our alumni and all the great players and fans that were a part of this organization that built it and stayed loyal to us um, in periods when we won zero home games oh. and, uh, you know, decided to still stick with us. So to me, that is what it was about and why I did it. It was about what that double E represents and how it makes people feel. Victor, uh, I'm old enough to remember barely Ron Lancaster's last game. He was booed in his last game here at Old Taylor Field, but he was cheered off the field in Edmonton. And if I remember correctly, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders beat the Edmonton then Eskimos uh, at that time. And But but I, I remember how excited I was. It was a meaningless game for the Riders and we went into Edmonton. Now, keep in mind, I'm sick, so I don't get all the parameters. You guys probably mailed that one in because you're already ready for the playoffs. But I was so excited because we went in and beat Edmonton at Commonwealth Stadium. It was unbelievable. I couldn't sleep for two days. And, and that was pathetic. But but what I'm trying to point out here is that was pretty sad, even though I hate Edmonton, like the football team. And I'm saying that jokingly. It was crazy. You guys didn't win a home game. That's embarrassing. Yeah, yeah that, that, that was. But you know what? That is... How sports works, isn't it? Yeah, I mean that's how life is. Someone's got to win, someone's got to lose, and you know, I, I, I've been around enough elite athletes in my life, and one of the things that they have taught me very well is that they have dealt with more losses in their lives than they've had victories. And by the losses, I don't just mean the losses that are tallied on the scorecard, but the losses of defeat that you feel when you're training the losses of the failed max effort that you made on bench press you know just the losses that you feel when you didn't make the cut Mm -hmm. all those kind of things and that is the stuff that um why you love sports because you have the probability of losing and now of course is it representative of maybe bigger problems we've had in the organization yeah probably but it is what it is and now we have a new season, and I'm, I'm pumped to be looking forward. Yeah, no kidding, man. So let me ask you a question. What's Victor Quee's biggest failure in life? Oh, geez, there's so many of that. You know, I, I like to tell people that I make more mistakes every day than probably anybody in our company. Because I'm always pushing, and I'm always trying, and, and most of my ideas are probably really stupid, but I'm just so lucky that the two out of ten ideas that do work outweigh all the other eight failures that I've got. Um, I think, you know, in the earlier days, uh, years ago, I remember I started a company that was a massive, massive failure. And it really taught me that uh, desire is not enough for success. Um, uh, Arrogance is not enough for success. Youth Youthful exuberance is not enough for success. And I took that loss as an entrepreneur and tried to use it to to, to learn and, and improve. You, uh, 
our great follow on uh, on Twitter at Victor Kui. I found this real interesting. If you don't mind, I was stalking you for a bit before the interview. Uh, <laughs> you, you tweeted, I woke up this morning to discover this lesson my 13-year-old daughter was teaching her younger bro and his friends. It was a plan on how to get girlfriends. It's pretty, it's pretty funny. But I saw the list at the end. And number six, she had be a good listener. Is that a is that kind of one of your best traits? Be a good listener because here's something I heard. I heard you're on a mission to meet at least 300 or be in contact with 300 Elks fans a day. Is that true? Is that a mission of yours? Because there's one guy here. There's a lot of people here. The John Lips and the guys behind the scenes with the Riders that have really kept this team afloat. Tom Shepard was a guy that went out and sold tickets. He went into a room. He 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 was your friend, but he was he kind of guilted you into buying some friends of the Riders uh, lottery tickets to keep the team afloat. He had the whole get you in a headlock jokingly and and kind of you know that it was it was hard work i guess is where i was going with he was a boots on the ground kind of guy is that how you do it yeah well the difference today is we've got this magnificent tool called social media that allows us to talk to every single person and um you know that would have cost you hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in marketing if you wanted to reach out to fans directly Mm -hmm. but today um uh we could do that for free and the, the crazy thing is this is that fans regularly write me paragraphs multiple paragraphs in direct messages on instagram facebook or twitter every day and i feel a responsibility to re- to reply and write back to them because they took the five ten minutes half an hour out of their day to tell me why this team is important and if I, as the leader and the president and CEO of this organization, cannot respect each one of our fans that have taken the time to show their love and passion, well, then how can I expect anybody else in my organization to do that? Yeah. So I, that's how I do it. That's a good point, man. It, is a, it really is, Victor, a grassroots league, so you need to get to the grassroots, don't you? Yeah, grassroots is part of it, but I mean, we do this business, and if you're in sports, you're pretty well in it because you just love talking about sports. You just love, you know, hanging out and whatever the topic is, anywhere that somebody wants to talk to me about it, I love it. And um, the other day, I was uh, in the movie theaters, walking out of the toilet, and uh, a guy (laughs) was wearing an Edmonton Elks hat. And I said to him, hey, nice hat, man. And he looked at me, and for a second he was processing, he goes, hey, Thanks, boss. And by the way, good job. <laughs> That's what he said to me. That's awesome. You know? That's awesome. Hey, uh, Victor, what's your Victor, what's your earliest member of the Edmonton football team as a fan? Because you talked about being a fan. What's your earliest memory? Who is your favorite player as a young Victor Kui? Well, when I was 12 years old or around that age and I, I came to a game, um, uh, so I was born in Edmonton, mm-hmm. but I left Edmonton when I was six years old and we lived in Africa. And so I lived in Africa until I was 12 years old. And I like to blame that reason because I lived in a tropical hot country and that's why I did not get the foundation of ice hockey. <laughs> so I am a horrible skater, so I'm going to blame on that. But um, that's a digression. But when I came back to Edmonton, one of the first things that my family did was take me to an Edmonton Eskimos game. Mm -hmm. And I remember putting on that jersey 
And when I first put it on before I got to the game, I didn't really know. I mean, I knew it was the jersey. I'm 12 years old. I'm like, oh, cool. This is really cool. I love football. But it was not until I got to the stadium and I stood there in an ocean of green and gold and just like, oh my gosh, like this feeling of of, of home, mm-hmm. this feeling of, of community, of, of, of strangers. And I'd never really felt like that before. And then that emotion of as a as a kid. And it was on that day that I was like, I want to be a football player. I want to be on the on, on, on the field. And because I only knew that was the only way that I could be a part of the team. I didn't understand office administration and, and jobs and marketing and all that kind of stuff. I just thought I could be on the field and wanted wanted to play. So that was where it started for me. That feeling in sports of you are a part of a of a of a bigger piece of a puzzle um, that you don't get to experience in anything else. You uh, built a successful mixed martial arts company over in Asia. You come here. Uh, what can you What can you take from that and translate it uh, to this organization? Is there are there parallels between sports or, or differences, in, even in the front office of a, of a mixed martial arts and a, a CFL football team? Oh, there's tons of parallels. I mean, first and foremost, what it it is about the sport. If you want fans to love the sport, it's not about two for one hot dog sales or cheap beer. I mean, all that is the value added, but it's about the storytelling of the sport. And you guys know in media, you have to find the story that nobody else sees. There's the obvious storylines, but the the more homework that you do, the deeper um, efforts that you make and experience you have, you're able to find storylines that are a steel line through things that connect people and make it amazing. Now that's our job as administrators of the team, to find the stories to tell the fans over and over. It might be about our history, it might be about our current day plans or our future plans, whatever that may be. Um, And so I think that's a really important part across all sports. The other part of it is that's a direct correlation is we are in the business of building heroes and inspiring hope, dreams, and inspiration to fans. Why are we hopeful for a whole new season after a disastrous season last year? Because it gets, you know, wiped blank. You get a blank slate. You get to dream of being the Great Cup champions all over again. Mm-hmm. So you have to build up the athletes. You have to tell their stories. You have to make them heroes in the community to young children, to adults, to, to season ticket holders, and do all of that so that this professional football club in the city is the lightning rod for the community to have those hope, dreams, and inspiration. Well, it used to be, man, because that used to be the City of Champions, Oilers, and the Edmonton Eskimos, now the Edmonton Elks. Okay, last question for you. How are things with uh, our old buddy Chris Jones and our other old buddy G-Roy Simon, who won a great cup here back in 2013 as a player? How's your relationship with him? I talked to G-Roy. He was on this show last week. He said it's the first time he's ever had dinner with a team president, so that's a feather in your cap. Just your thoughts on uh, on both of those guys. Well, you know, it's funny that Jiroy would say that because to me, it's of course I'm going to meet with him, you know, and um, 
he was also surprised, I remember he mentioned to me, because I have messaged personally every single person on our roster, um, <laughs> either on their Instagram or on their Twitter account, and follow them and, and reached out to them and just said, hey, I'm looking forward to a great year. Anything you need, give me, you know, shout out to me and, and I'll, I'll do what I can. And um, to, that's why I love this sport, because I want to talk to the guys. Now, um, spending time with Giro, what an amazing man. You know, I, I always say that you can tell a lot about a man by the way they talk about their family. And he was telling me, I mean, he's one of eight siblings. And, you know, he's, he's a father to five children. And he was so proud to list off every single one of his nieces and nephews and brothers and sisters and just talk about them. And he just, I could see him going through his mind. He was listing them off <laughs> name by name and just so proud about, about, about his family. And um, that meant, meant a lot to me that he was sharing that with me because to me, the most important thing in life is is family. It's always about family first. Um, Coach Jones, him and I talk regularly, almost every single day, either by message or on the phone. And he, in his mind, you know, and I'm sorry to disappoint you guys, but in his mind, he's like, we are going to be champions this year. That's it. Full stop. Well, I mean, I would expect nothing less, and I can't wait to get that rivalry going again. It used to be, it's kind of gone in waves. For a stretch there, uh, when I was growing up, we hated Edmonton. Then then when I got into media, we had a real good rivalry with the BC Lions. Then it went to Calgary. Now, most recently, everybody in the West hates Winnipeg. But uh, I can't wait to start hating Edmonton again, except for Victor Kui. Thanks for taking time. <laughs> Thanks for taking time out of the busy sky. And I like Jonesy and uh, uh, G-Roy, too. I'm friends with them. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule. You're welcome on this show anytime. You are a breath of fresh air. You're exactly what this league needs. Thanks, Victor. Have a great day, guys. That's Victor Quee, president and CEO of the Edmonton Elks. Victor Quee chatting with Michael Ball on the Western Pizza Hotline earlier this year. And uh, the Edmonton Elks, they are the evil empire. Like, I know, like, when Ballsy says it, he's referring to, obviously, like, in his era growing up because they were then but even when I was a kid I mean Ricky Ray throwing those corner routes to Jason Tucker it's just like Ed Hervey uh, Mike Pringle there as well it was just like those teams just like it didn't matter like how good or how bad the riders were it seemed like whenever you went into Edmonton you could just mark it down as a loss could never win there it seemed like but uh Victor Quee hopefully he's going to turn that thing around in Edmonton and I forgot to mention this to kick off our two but oh baby do we have some big time news for you coming up next week Actually, one week from today, Ballsy will be doing the show. I'm going to have everything lined up for him. But uh, he will be making a big-time announcement on, the, on uh, the Sports Cage one week from today. So uh, circle that on your calendars and make sure to tune in because uh, a big-time announcement for the future of the Sports Cage will be announced on Tuesday, one week from today. And uh, it's going to be must-hear radio, just like it is every single day here on the Sports Cage. We're number one for a reason. I mean, come on. Number one show in the province. Uh, when We love our sports cage shareholders. If you're new here, welcome. If you're a veteran here, uh, you know what we do. We're going to hit the break on the other side. How about a conversation I had with 
Corey Philpott. He has two kids that are pretty good at football. Both of them are playing in the Canadian Football League right now, Jalen and Tyson. We're going to talk about that and much more coming up on the other side of the break. You're listening to the Sports Cage Year in Review, Episode 2 for Saskatchewan Lotteries on 620s. Is your house. Welcome inside the sports cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Joined on the Western Pizza Hotline by BC Lions great running back Corey Philpot. Now, uh, the surname Philpot, of course, has once again been brought into the minds of CFL fans. Corey, both of your sons, Jalen and Tyson, in the Canadian Football League now. Jalen with the Calgary Stampeders and Tyson with the Montreal Alouettes. Just how cool was that, Corey, on draft day to be sitting beside both of them as they were drafted? I just love how TSN did that. You know, it, it was it was so cool and so awesome. And, you know, for, for, for most parents, I don't think we thought that, uh, you know, we'd be sitting at a table watching our twin boys uh, get drafted in the CFL or even play in the CFL, something that I played and something I did and enjoy playing. Um, it just, you know, it's still, it's still right now when I sit and I watch TV and I hear my kids' names being called or people message, message me and texting me when I'm at work and I can't watch the game as they spoil it for me saying what my boys are doing out there. Yeah, that's amazing. So I do the public address announcing for uh, the University of Regina Rams. So I remember both of them just making play after play against our Rams. It was an honor to watch them collegiately in person. Uh, Corey, I want to talk about your own career here in a few moments, but speaking of Rams, you are now the head coach of the Langley Rams of the CJFL, and last year was your first year as the head man in charge there. Pretty good start to your head coaching career there in Langley. I mean, just a national championship win. No big deal. Uh, it was a 37 to nothing win over the London Beefeaters in the Canadian Bowl. So it's not often a first-year head coach with a team wins a national title. I know you had a head coaching experience before, I believe, with the Vancouver Trojans. Uh, but uh, just talk about that experience last year. Well, you, you know, it's 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 just funny. Like we've, I, I've actually had coached a lot of stuff. You know, like community football, right. football. I've been part of Team Canada and Team BC because I run the BC provincial football out here. So mm-hmm. we've been close to it. And my boys played when we first came back into the game uh, against uh, some teams. But but when you talk about the Rams, like say I've been part of the Rams for probably the last six seven years. I've been like the running back coach. So I've been part of building that that that, that organization and building that, that, that core kids. So um, when, when it came down and they gave me the head coaching role, um, I knew there was a bunch of talented players. We had a bunch of great, great guys. And it was just one of the things you just had to go out there and just organize it and keep everybody on the same page. And, and that's what we did. You know, I took over a team that was pretty much on, on his verge of, of taking a national championship, and which they did, and they stepped up and played. So, you know, moving forward now, you know, hey, uh, I got, you know, my second year in now. Yeah, man. So thirty-seven, nothing in that Canadian Bowl championship. But uh, what's the few memories that you kind of think of when you think of that game? Well, when you think when you think of that game and going into that game, you know, obviously we had to prepare our players and be ready for it. Um, we felt like we were pretty strong uh, going into that that national championship game. Um, but 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 like er, er, everyone everyone talks about it and everyone sees uh, over the whole CJFL, um, if you can get past the hilltops. 
you, you pretty much got a good right. chance from the West um, to win uh, a national championship. So our, our, our national championship was actually against the Hilltops. Right. And uh, the national championship, uh, the Canadian Bowl, was out in Ontario, right? Yeah, that was so, correct. Yeah, so it was probably the first experience for a lot of your players actually traveling across country to play a football game, and it looked like uh, they dealt with that pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, we, we we handled it pretty good, yeah. you know. Like say, I, I run a tight ship when when we travel with any team I play with, and you know what, our main thing is to go out there and focus and, and handle our business and do our jobs, and and that's pretty much what what the guys did, and the coaches did a great job of preparing these kids and getting them ready to go. Now you set up shop, if you will, in British Columbia in large part because it was your first home up here in Canada. You were with the BC Lions from 93 to 97. And I know it's 30 years ago, but can you remember your first thoughts and impressions when you first got acclimated to the Canadian game? Were you surprised by the talent pool at all? I was I was definitely surprised by the talent pool when I when I came up you know when when I was in I asked to come play for the Lions you know I thought I was coming up and uh, obviously it's a Canadian game so I, I figured okay well you know they're bringing up a certain amount of Americans and back then you, you could only have a certain amount of Americans at that time at times change now but yeah. you know it was one of those things walking out on the field and and just seeing the atmosphere and seeing a bunch of guys fly around and going wow you know this is pretty exciting and um, this is a great game to play. I mean, especially for me coming from the U.S., uh, playing on a wider field, um, it just made a big difference for myself. And in just your second season with the Lions, I mean, you reached the pinnacle, Grey Cup champion. It was just a classic game, too. I mean, Louis Pisaglia with the game-winning kick against the Baltimore Stallions. Take us back to the 1994 Grey Cup. What are your first moments that come to mind when you think of that game? Well, well that game was one, one of the ones that I think uh, – it put all of us as Canadians and Americans that played together. Cause you got to remember, uh, the U.S. had came in and brought uh, American teams in. I think they brought six teams in at that time. Mm-hmm. They were not under the rules, so they could play with all American players. So yeah. I think it really pushed us as the Lions to come together as a family, as the Canadians and say, we were going to go out and we were going to win this great cup game. Um, and show that, you know, no matter what the racial was, whether it's all American, uh, Canadians versus Americans. And so we, we as Americans that were on that team in 94 decided that we were, we were Canadians and we were going to play as Canadians and that's what we did. Man, that is such a cool story though. BC Lions great running back Corey Philpott on the Western Pizza Hotline. Now uh, you had a great season individually in 1994 but it was uh, the season after the 1995 CFL season you were named a CFL All-Star so in 95 you had over 1,300 yards and 17 touchdowns along the ground. You also had over 500 yards receiving that season and four TDs and also a kick return TD too. I mean, Corey Philpott, I'm sure you were uh, still aware that uh, you actually still hold the BC Lions record for most touchdowns in a season with 22. You had the mojo in 95, man. Yes, yes, it, it, it was it was a, it was a great year, and I mean, like I say, when you come off a great cup and you go into the next year, you you wanted to prove to everyone that you still can go out there and try to repeat for that great cup again. So I went out there determined to to do whatever I could um, to make sure that we could try to repeat again. Right, and uh, you went on to play a few more seasons with the Lions, and I still remember how Taylor Field and Regina here used to sell game day programs, and I remember being like. 
five years old at the time, and my dad and I bought one of the programs on game day, and obviously I'm just a young kid, so like bright colors and pictures of football players were like so brilliant to see. And I remember one of the pages had a huge 8 by 10 picture of Corey Philpott in his white BC Lions uniform, and uh, it was just so cool to see. I mean, the internet wasn't really a thing back then, so you didn't really have access to see cool football pictures like that. I miss those days. What are the days or the things that you miss most about your playing career, Corey? Well, the thing the thing I miss the most um, is, uh, and now I I I'm trying to work with our our Lions uh, group and stuff like that. It's promoting promoting the players, alumni, and stuff around our community. Being able to get out in the community and and being able to uh, meet the young kids and do a bunch of stuff like we used to play basketball in the high schools with the kids. We used to play broom ball when it was the winter time. We get out. We we did a lot to intervene to get the kids out uh, to the games and. Once the kids know who the athletes are and who the players are with the Lions, um, then that makes the younger kids go home and tell their parents that they've met a guy like Corey Philpott and they want to go to a BC Lion game. So that was my fun part, just just getting out and being part of the community and just 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 doing doing what we do um, of giving back. Right, Corey Philpott with us on the Western Pizza Hotline, and I wanted to ask you about this too. Uh, you finished your CFL career with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in 1999-2000, so I'm assuming you got to play one or two Labor Day Classics? What was that experience like at Taylor Field? It was great. It was great. You know, just, uh, you know, what? one thing I can say about uh, at Taylor Field, the fans are great. They're, they're loud. They're, they, I mean, they support, they support their team. And, 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 it, and you like to say, when you're playing in that, it's like playing uh, in a championship every time you go there and play a game um, because you're going to, you're going to get everything and you got to be able to, for, for an opponent going in, you got to be able to block out all that stuff that you're going to get thrown at and, and, and they're going to say to you and everything. But again, it gets you, it gets you excited. It yeah. gets you wanting to go and play in a field like Taylor Field because you know you're going to be playing in front of a big crowd. That would be such a cool feeling too, being a road team and all that. It's kind of like you guys versus the world type feel. And uh, so, like, would it rate pretty high on the best environment scale that you played in front of in the CFL, those Labor Day Classics? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Saskatchewan, I mean, like I say, you, you, for me to say it and for everyone to say it, Saskatchewan fans are everywhere. Like, they're everywhere. Yeah. Even when we have BC, here in BC, you know, we have tons of Saskatchewan fans. So, like I say, it is the best stadium to go and play in because you're going to be playing in front of a big crowd. So, I got to ask you this, too. What does Corey Philpot do if the Calgary Stampeders play the Montreal Alouettes? in the Grey Cup. Is it half jerseys? Or what's on your mind going into that game this year in Regina? Well, I don't know if you saw the first game of the season. Uh, Calgary played Montreal, so I designed it uh, yeah. a half and half shirt and everything that has I Montreal that. and Calgary on it. So uh, that's that. That's what that is. But definitely, uh, that jersey is uh, being designed, and uh, if that you know they when they play each other, either way, that jersey will come out here pretty soon. Yeah. So I'm I'm just thinking, like, what would that be like watching both your kids? in a gray cup and how would you deal with that post game because you'll have uh one of your sons that is just so excited and then the other would be dealing with a championship loss would you almost kind of feel guilty celebrating too much because you don't want to make the other guy feel too bad like have you thought about that in your head 
No, you know, I haven't thought about it because at the end of the day, you know, um, this is good. This will be the first time if, if that was to come down and one of them would be that. But, you know, what? we're so competitive between uh, the three boys of us. So, mm-hmm. you know, we've all we've all had our challenges where I'm doing something and if I've lost and stuff and they've kind of come back and say, well, dad, suck it up. Maybe yeah. next time. Yeah, so it, it, it would be it would be one of those things that I think we 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 I'd be excited. I'd probably pat the other one on the back and say great job. I'd probably tell the other one, hey, hey, it always next year. There's always next year, so um, you can redeem yourself. So it, it's one of those competitors that we have between each other. And that's Corey Philpot on the Western Pizza Hotline. I chatted with him a few short months ago during the CFL season. And Corey, man, he was one great running back. Number six for the BC Lions. I just remember him vividly. He was a very shifty type running back. Very uh, honored to have him join us earlier on this year. We're going to hear from Cole Sillinger of the Columbus Blue Jackets coming up next here on the Sports Cage for Saskatchewan Lotteries on 620. Prices. Time to talk NHL. Now back to your favorite sports talk show, The Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Let's talk a little hockey now with the uh, 12th pick in the first round of the 2021 draft. The Columbus Blue Jackets took Cole Sillinger out of Regina, and he rewarded them with a pretty good season. 16 goals, 15 assists, 31 points in 79 games. He joins us in the Western Pizza Hotline. How are you today, Cole? I'm doing good. Yourself? Doing well, man. So you're enjoying summer back here in Regina, I presume? Yeah, summer's been good. I got back here uh, just under a month ago and just uh, training here. I trained at level 10. Danny Askwich and we got a good group here. So, um, training, skating, um, playing the odd round of golf. Yeah, I can't complain. Yeah, hitting the odd. Uh, d- can you beat your dad in golf? <laughs> I can. Yeah, we yeah. have good matches. That's good. So you beat your dad. That's good. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> uh, so what's your what's your nickname, Cole? Is it Silly Silly the Second? What is it? Uh, yeah, they, they have a couple of nicknames for me uh, down at Columbus, but uh, Silly Silly gets tossed around a lot. Okay, so. Uh, I forget who was your first goal against. Uh, the Islanders. Okay, so do you remember that one? Uh, can you take me through that goal? What do you remember about that goal? What's running through yeah. your head? So it was. Uh, I remember we just scored. On uh, we were down two nothing. We scored at the end of the, at the end of the second to make it two to one, and then my line got put out next. And uh, I was taking the face off. I was looking across. It was Barzal, and I thought that was a pretty cool moment. Yeah. I ended up ended up beating him in the face off, and we just chipped the puck in. And then it was just kind of a, a whole cycle. And then uh, there was a change, and I just got the puck. And I uh, actually brought it to the middle on, like, a little toe-drag move and, and made a good backhand. I thought that one was going to go in. And uh, the crowd kind of got on their feet. And uh, I missed. And then I just kind of <laughs> X'd the zone while the, the player was in the corner. Then it just came, drove the middle of the ice. And uh, Gavrikov, Vladislav Gavrikov, our demon there, he uh, made a great backhand pass. And... Uh, uh, I couldn't miss it. It was, uh, it was a, it was a freebie. It was an easy one, and uh, yeah, it was, some, it was it's a goal that I'll never forget. That for sure. Awesome, man. Yeah, I was, uh, I was happy to watch it. My son and I, uh, you, you played on my son's hockey team as one of the call-ups, and we're texting each other watching you play. He's like that kid's a stud. What a stud. <laughs> hey, uh, so Cole, um, 
In terms of, uh, in terms of, you mentioned you're lining up across from Matthew Barzell. You're a professional hockey player. You got a job to do now, but you're 19. You're in the league. You're a rookie. You got to pinch yourself when you're like, did you have a pinch me moment, like going against Crosby or or uh, McDavid or some of these Johnny Hockey, who's now your teammate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's a couple, uh, a couple moments for sure where. Um, you're like, oh my god! You kind of just like sing back and, and take a step back, and you're like, oh my god! I'm, I'm playing NHL, I'm, you know, just kind of the whole lifestyle and everything, right? Um, but kind of like throughout the year, honestly, I just kind of lived in the moment and, and kind of just tried to understand that I was in, the, in this position for a reason and tried not to to get too overwhelmed with myself, right? So I think that allowed me to to have the success I I had this year and. Uh, to just continue to keep improving, um, but yeah, I mean, taking your face off against the Crosby's, the, I mean, the Tazes, the mm-hmm. McDavid's, Matthews, I mean, McKinnon's, anyone, you name it, it's uh, it's pretty special. In your opinion, who's the best player in the NHL? Uh, that's a tough question. I mean, uh, uh, McDavid's probably pretty good. <laughs> you know what I notice about McDavid and I'm an Oiler fan um, I just like watching good players when he gets on the ice it's almost like well it's like when I used to watch you play against the young guys when you got on the ice the pace of the the pace of the game just changed only this is at the NHL level with pros like yeah. when he gets on the ice it's you know you watch little young Cole Sillinger Regina Minor Hockey he'd blow down the wing and the defenseman would actually have to start skating with you and then turn around so that they wouldn't get blown past that's what i'm seeing <laughs> nhl defensemen do with mcdavid it's crazy yeah yeah there's a select few select few guys that can do that in the league and he's obviously one of them and then there's a couple others out there but yeah he's uh he's a special special talent hey so when johnny hockey goes to uh, columbus people are like he left 15 million on the table to go to columbus over calgary so tell me why why is Columbus a great place to play? I mean, it just kind of kind of starts with our fan base. I mean, uh, we have a, a great fan base. I mean, we're out of the out of the playoffs. I mean, this is the first year I obviously have to experience it, but um, we're out of the playoffs uh, and still had 15 games to play or 12 to 15 games to play, and they were still on, on their feet, uh, sold out every night, um, rocking, right? So it just kind of goes to show that they – the support they have for us. I mean, they're, they're our backbone. And, uh, again, I think our, just our locker room, our whole staff, it's, uh, I mean, we're, we're a tight knit group and, uh, I think we, we all like the, the direction we're heading in and then we're all working towards one goal and that's obviously to, to win. So I think that, uh, I mean, he obviously did his kind of research and, uh, I just think that, yeah, he liked the, liked the direction we're headed in. He liked their, our young kind of prospects and, and where we're going to go with things and, and our management and everything, the moves we've made. So it's exciting. Anytime a, a guy of uh, Johnny's uh, caliber chooses chooses your team, it's uh, it's exciting, right? It, it's a little motivation, even for myself. Right? You want to train a little harder. And, uh, I mean, you want to just kind of, no help help out any way you can. So uh, are you guys like on like uh, you you young guys uh, you know TikTok or Snapchat or are you on like a group chat where you're texting with him and have you talked to him at all either via social media or uh, or phone call or anything like that? Uh, I haven't talked to him uh, not yet. I think that's kind of something that the older veterans doing and our staff does. But um, I'm sure when once camp comes around or maybe before camp, we'll we'll touch base and. Uh, mm-hmm. 
We'll have some good conversations. It'll be uh, super fun. I'm really excited to meet him. I've heard nothing but great things about him. Cole Sillinger, what do you want to work on? You, like you, you, you played. You had a pretty good year. Plus, minus wasn't where you wanted to be, but that can be a deceiving stat, especially when you're on a team out of the playoffs. Is there something in your game or something strength wise? You say you're training at level ten. That you said, okay, if I, I'm here, I had a pretty decent year, but to stay in this league and take the next step, I got to do this. What would it be? Yeah, I think for me, I mean, uh, as far as in the gym was, I think I have a, a pretty good foundation in my body um, on where I want to be. I think obviously you got to get stronger in every aspect of your of your body and, and maintain and, and just kind of the growth you can make. I mean, there's always room for room for improvement. But I think for me, it's the it's the little details of my game. Um, you know, kind of just starting with you know just the simple things like face offs and, and just techniques of face offs and just. Um, plays in the defensive zone and and uh, I mean overall how I'm going to have success in the defensive zone and, and that's to, to handle the puck down low, be strong, cut back I mean you see all those, I mean a guy like Gaudreau, he is, does it very well, he creates space for himself and uh, you know, he he can take the puck in that, he can he kind of controls the game I think uh, that's something I'm doing a lot is you know, kind of breaking down uh, my game from this past season and and seeing the areas where I can get better. And uh, I think it, it obviously is the explosiveness and, and your first out quickness allows you to do that. And uh, But, yeah, I think everything in my game, but if I'm going to target three things, it's the little details in my game uh, in all areas of the ice and uh, just kind of protecting the puck down low. And, I mean, there's some strong guys in the league, so you gotta you got to be able to, to hold on to it and then make some plays. Cole, thanks for your time, man. Enjoy the rest of the summer. It was a pleasure watching you this year, and I can't wait to see the evolution of your game. Say hi to your dad for me, okay? Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, take care. Yeah, take care. That's Cole Sillinger from the Columbus Blue Jackets, now teammate of Johnny Hockey. There's Michael Bald, who chatted with Cole Sillinger prior to the start of uh, the 2022-23 season. And uh, Cole Sillinger, this year, he has 30 games played. He has uh, two goals, four assists, and uh, doing Regina proud. Regina's finest, Cole Sillinger, joining Michael Ball on the Western Pizza Hotline. We're going to hit the break on the other side. We're going to hear from Enoch Mwamba, the uh, all-star uh Playmaker in the Grey Cup this year. I mean, he won uh, Canadian uh, Player of the Game. He won the uh, Grey Cup MVP. He did it all. I mean, Enoch Mwamba was a, a big reason why the Toronto Argonauts won the Grey Cup this year. And we're going to hear from him after the game coming up next. You're listening to the Sports Cage for Saskatchewan Lotteries on 620 CK. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Sports Cage. Now back to the action on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Sean Klasinger in the chair today for the next couple weeks. In hour one, we heard from Darius Bladek before the Grey Cup. Well, let's hear from another member of the Toronto Argonauts after the Argos won the Grey Cup here in Regina. It's Enoch Mwamba. Uh, it's hard to describe, but um, just 11 years of hard work. 11 years uh, I've been playing this game and all I ever wanted was to be great and uh, man to reach the pinnacle there's nothing like it um, my brother right there he lives in Houston now he flew down he's got it he got two rings he, he came down he said he not I don't come to great cups and and not win and so 
just so much emotion because of the people that are around me, the people that love me, him being one of them. Got another brother. I got such a loving family. My wife is amazing, supportive. And people don't realize how much toll it, you know, it takes. Really all the wives on our team, and they got so close throughout the course of the season, specifically the fathers on the team as well. Look at these amazing, the, the amazing girls that I have, starting with this girl right here. Um, just filled with love and just elated. Well, we don't get to that to, to the interception without you know that first drop I had, and uh, I was even supposed to blitz on the first drop, but I felt um, I felt like I needed a drop, and so I dropped. I put myself in the right place in the right situation. Coach Plick called a great call, and uh, I just lost it. I lost it in the in 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 the air. Ran down the sideline, and and I told my coaches. Told Coach Ivan, man, I lost it. He said, Enoch, you're gonna get another opportunity. Chris Edwards came to me, said, not forget that one, you're gonna get another one. Shaq came and he said, forget that, you'll get another one. And so, who am I not to have the confidence in myself when I have some people around me that believe in me so much, so deeply, so greatly? And um, you know, when that second one came, there was no way I was letting it drop. Um, I kind of sensed a dig behind me and uh, I just trusted my instincts at that point we trained so hard we worked so hard I got Mac next to me right here you know the sacrifices that we make away from our little ones his daughter his wife man I couldn't do that twice in one game we had ultimate confidence in ourselves we knew what we brought to the table. We knew what kind of team we had. We knew the kind of guys that we had in the locker room. I wear this bracelet. It says men of character, measured by character. And that's the type of man we have in our locker room. <laughs> Funny story about this bracelet. I got it 11 years ago from our chaplain, my chaplain in Winnipeg. His name's Lauren Coral. And I, uh, I randomly found a big bag that I still had these in in my house. And uh, it's been 11 years that I've had it. I pulled it out and I started sharing it with some of the guys. And this is the type of guy that I have, the guys that we have in the locker room, men of character, guys that don't quit, guys that don't give up, guys that are mentally strong, mentally tough. And I often preach mental toughness when I go to schools, churches, prisons, you name it, corporations, I talk about mental toughness. And today, it wasn't about talking, it was about walking that walk. And uh, we all had to display it on the field. Unbelievable. I'm still trying to figure out if this is real life. Um, but yeah, the ultimate team sport, man. You, <sighs> I felt like I was letting my teammates down after a first drop, but they had my back. And uh, we kept preaching that from the beginning of the game, really from the beginning of the season. You know, so many people wrote us off, and we knew that we had to start believing in ourselves to start, believe, uh, to start taking the steps in the right direction.
That's the voice of 2022 Grey Cup champion Enoch Mwamba after he uh, and his Argonauts took home the big championship win. And let me say this once again because I totally butchered it the first time around. But he is the Grey Cup most valuable player. He is the Grey Cup most valuable Canadian. And like I said, he is a Grey Cup champion in 2022 with the Toronto Argonauts. I would run through a wall. For that guy, I would run through this glass window for Enoch Buamba hearing him talk like that. Are you kidding me? Give me one of those leather football helmets, slap it on my head. Let's go. Hey, we we have a what time is it? Yeah, we got a break for the news here, but on the other side of the news, we have a few more great conversations uh, to wrap up uh, Tuesday's edition of. Uh, Sports Cage Year in Review. We're going to go back and relive a conversation Don Hewitt had with Greg Vavra, who went into the Canadian Hall of uh, Canadian Football Hall of Fame earlier this year. You're listening to the Sports Cage for Saskatchewan Lotteries on 620. C- I love the smell of my pump in the morning. This is where the fun begins. I don't want to gain another yard. 620 CKRM is proud to be your official voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and your home for the hottest sports show anywhere. It's a new era for sports talk in Saskatchewan. Welcome to the Sports Cage with your host, Michael Ball. Hey, good evening, Sports Cage shareholders. It's hour three here on our Sports Cage Year in Review Episode 2. Tell you what, random thought of the day. That's my random thought of the day right here. Gingerbread cookies? Underrated, man. Gingerbread cookies are underrated. I've downed like six or seven of them. And I'm um, feeling good about it, too. Today's show is for Saskatchewan Lotteries, the main fundraiser for over 12,000 sport, culture, and recreation groups. Uh, a guy just walked by the window here. He's literally wearing uh, maybe a long sleeve T-shirt. I'm worried sick for that individual. Hopefully he can find some uh, uh, shelter soon. Uh, I'm watching the Idaho Potato Bowl right now. I think the game is actually over. It was uh, Eastern Michigan taking on San Jose State. And yet again, another football game being played on a blue field. I think they were playing at Boise State's uh, stadium. That's just so goofy. Quit playing football on different colored fields. Like, it's like playing ice hockey. It's like dyeing the whole ice, like, uh, I don't know, like red or something like that. It's just, it's not natural. Just don't do it. You know what I mean? That's a, a zinger's gospel. Uh, so you learn two things today. You know, you don't play football on painted turf, and you better enjoy those gingerbread cookies because they're underrated. And, uh, hey, I didn't mention this, I don't think, earlier. I've mentioned a lot of sports news today, but uh, this was uh, pretty sweet news coming in earlier today. Starting next season, check this out. Drum roll. Oh, yeah. No drum roll ready. All right. Well, Saskatchewan junior female hockey players under the age of 22 will have a new league that they can compete in on uh, Tuesday, which is today. Hockey Saskatchewan announced the board of directors have uh, approved the creation of a new female junior hockey league that will launch in 2023. So that's pretty cool. That's always good uh, when you give more opportunities to more individuals. You know, we're here for it. Absolutely. So uh, uh, great news coming in across the wire today. Well, I got a few more conversations I want to play for you here on this uh, episode two of our Sports Cage Year in Review. Now, this next one 
is a former U Sports quarterback and a former CFL quarterback. Now, the CFL induction or the Canadian Football Hall of Fame induction ceremony this year was a little bit different because, remember, uh, they inducted two draft class because of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. So both uh, 2020 and 2021 uh, went into the hall this year. So uh, Greg Vavro was one of those names. He was uh, part of the 2020 class. Now, Greg Vavro, he had uh, quite the college career. I mean, he was the quarterback for uh, the Calgary Dinos. He won the Vanier Cup with them uh, in 1983, if my memory. Yes, 1983. Uh, with the Calgary Dinos, and he also won the Heck Crichton that year as well, which is, uh, you probably don't need me to remind you, but it's the Heisman of Canadian college football. So he won both of those in the same year, and also that season as well, at the time, he set a U-Sports passing yards record, most passing yards in a single game in U-Sports history at the time, when he threw for 627 yards, 627 yards, uh, in a game against the Saskatchewan Huskies. Now, that's no... Uh, what did Matt Dunnigan throw for that one game? Was it like 700 and something? Something crazy like that? But uh, Greg Vavra, he had an outstanding collegiate career, and then uh, he ended up uh, catching on with the Calgary Stampeders. He was with them for a few seasons. He was with the Edmonton then Eskimos then. After that, he was with the British Columbia Lions. I love calling the BC Lions the British Columbia Lions, by the way. That needs to happen more. And then uh, Greg Vavra wrapped up his career with uh, the Edmonton Eskimos, and uh, he went into the Hall of Fame, the Canadian Football Hall of Fame this year, and he chatted with Don Hewitt on the Western Pizza Hotline. There are two years going into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame this evening in Hamilton, the 2020 version and the 2021 version. One of the players... Going in from the 2020 year is Greg Vavra, who was an outstanding uh, college quarterback and did pretty well in the CFL. Uh, and it's pretty apropos to talk to a Canadian quarterback with what's going on right now uh, with BC. And, and Greg, you had a, a whale of a, a college career in 83. Of course, you won the Vanier Cup. You, you passed for an incredible 8,401 yards and 63 touchdown passes, which was just off the charts back when you were playing then. And there was lots of passing. Uh, one game you had 55 passing attempts against the University of Manitoba, which is really wild. Uh, also, you're a kicker. 52-yard field goal versus the Saskatchewan Huskies. 93-yard punt versus Manitoba. Quite an athlete. Uh, tell me about your, your college career at the U of C. Well, it's actually an interesting story because I wasn't uh, uh, intending to attend the UFC. Originally, I was recruited and accepted a position with uh, St. Francis Xavier X-Men down in Antigonish. And uh, about a month before I was to uh, go down to training camp, I was playing in a baseball tournament in uh, in Calgary. And uh, the, the closer it came for me to leave, the further away uh, St. FX felt. So <laughs> yeah. I, I did some research and talked to uh, Coach Lashik at the time and and then I uh, I changed directions in uh, in that I attended uh, the University of Calgary starting in 1979, and 
you know, gradually we had some very good teams along the way. The 1980 team was was an excellent team that got uh, beat in the Western Final by University of Alberta, who went on to win the Vanier Cup. And then we came back around uh, three years later in 1983 and were able to put a, a good run together and uh, and won the Vanier Cup. That's cool. Now, you played in the Canadian Football League for five seasons, the Stampeders, Eskimos, and BC Lions. In 1984, you won six games for the Stampeders as a Canadian uh, starting quarterback. That Stampeder team wasn't all that great in 84. Did you think after you accomplished six victories that you you had made it as their starting quarterback? You never, you know, I was never really certain. I was always on tender hooks when it came to... Uh, playing time in the CFL and fortunately uh, and unfortunately fortunately I had Steve Bratto uh, as my head coach who was a very open-minded coach and I went into the uh, 1985 season as the starter and uh, unfortunately for Steve uh, he got fired after six games and uh, the the uh, my path my career path changed so I was uh, in the five years I played I played for some very uh, great open-minded coaches that didn't care where I came from they just cared of I could uh, help the team win, and then I also was on the other end of it where uh, certain coaches just didn't feel like a Canadian-trained quarterback could contribute and uh, make a meaningful contribution to their teams, and in those situations, I didn't really uh, get much of an opportunity, and um, you know, it is what it is. It uh, you, you ride the highs and the lows, and uh, uh, overall, it was a great experience. I met some great people, and uh, you, you know, I, I stopped thinking about it a long time ago. You're right. Overall, uh, of what you've seen since you played up until this year, we'll talk about that in a minute, uh, have you felt generally that it's very, very difficult for a Canadian quarterback when you consider all the CFL coaches primarily are Americans? Well, I think that uh, my observation over time is that those who have the ability generally get the opportunity. And I think of one uh, individual, uh, Andrew Buckley, who uh, who had uh, mm-hmm. the skill set to play, played with the Stampeders for a period of time. And um, he was such a bright kid that uh, other opportunities showed up in his life, and he's now a doctor. And that was very much the way it was for me as well. And uh, I think that there is a certain uh, stick-to-itiveness that uh, certain quarterbacks, be they American or Canadian, have to have in order to really get their career to a point where they're consistently playing at a high level. And I got there late in my five-year career in the CFL, and it was time for me to move on. So uh, it really is a circumstantial thing, uh, you know, person by person. And, um, you know, those that... uh, you know, those that, that stick it out long enough generally have some positive uh, experiences toward the uh, the middle and end of their careers. Right. Now, watching Nathan Rourke last Saturday night in B.C., 59 points he racks up as a Canadian quarterback. How did you feel watching that? I felt, uh, you know, very happy for Nathan. I thought my observation were that their offensive line did a great job of protecting him and his offensive play caller put him in incredible positions to make plays and, and not, not overly complicated plays. Their scheme just got receivers open and Nathan has a very accurate arm and he's got some ability to extend plays 
and make a secondary play and it, it just was one of those nights where everything came together and you know I've heard several commentators comment that uh, it is a body of work and which it truly is and Nathan's off to a good start and I hope he uh, continues to to go and grow and and puts a body of work together that uh, that will speak for itself in time right now Three Canadians actually played quarterback in that game because, uh, of course, Michael O'Connor also played for the Lions, as did Trey Ford uh, for the Edmonton Eskimos. Do you think, you know, the circumstance of, of three Canadian quarterbacks playing in that one CFL game is going to open some minds more so about CFL coaches playing a Canadian quarterback? I think it's too early to tell. Uh, I believe that uh, Nathan is right now on track to have the best opportunity to uh, open some some eyes and uh, and maybe shift some paradigms around. Uh, Mike and um, and Trey just you can see they've got the ability to to play. They just haven't been given enough of an opportunity. And in Trey's case. Uh, uh, I think that uh, playing in the first half of your first CFL game when uh, live bullets are flying was a, a little bit too early for him. So hopefully they, they take some time, pull him back, groom him a little bit, and uh, pick and choose his opportunity so that he does have the opportunity to grow into it. Um, and, you know, time will tell. The body of work will be the body of work, and uh, you'll be discussing in in retrospect uh, all of their careers, and, and I'm hopeful that somebody, uh, you know, sort of surplants Russ as the penultimate Canadian quarterback, and uh, right now Nathan has the best shot at doing that. Right. Uh, now, does it make your blood boil a little bit, Greg, when you hear about you know, possibly less Canadians playing in the CFL starting next year? Yeah, I, I don't know that I have all the information. I, I, uh, I It does. Um, of course, I'm a champion of Canadians at all positions. I think that the uh, U-sport Canadian football athlete is better than he's ever been and uh, more ready to contribute than he's ever been. And for uh, for kids going through U sport at the university level to be restricted in their opportunities to start at the next level, I think is a disservice to uh, to Canadians and to the Canadian Football League. So, if I if I have to cast my vote and and uh, and uh, you know shed some influence on the situation, I'd love to see them sort of promote and champion Canadians at all positions. And uh, it does concern me a great deal when the numbers and the opportunities get reduced. Now, I agree with you. The caliber of youth sports football is going up, it seems like, every year. Why is that happening, do you think, Greg? Is it mainly coaching? I think so. And I think what I noticed when I was coaching uh, at the University of Calgary, the uh, the athletes are training 12 years round to play football. We've got, we've got athletes specializing in our sport now, and there's all, uh, all kinds of opportunities to... Uh, to develop in the amateur system coming up to the college level where uh, they're playing spring football in Calgary. They have a fall season at their high schools and there's just a, a much better opportunity for them to train as football players than it was the case in my day where everybody was, you know, three sport athletes and you didn't really consider whether you wanted to play university football until you're in the middle of your grade 12 season. And uh, so I think the, the guys are focusing on the sport 
more and more and it, it shows the caliber of, of athlete that U-Sport is turning out is uh, is quite incredible. Well, thanks for spending time with us, Greg, and congratulations. Enjoy the evening as you're inducted into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. That's Don Hewitt chatting with Greg Vavra, who went into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame this year, former University of Calgary Dino quarterback, and then uh, went on to play for the Calgary Stampeders and uh, the Edmonton then Eskimos. And I'm just going to say this. if uh, I'm taking nothing away from Greg Vavra. Great quarterback, obviously. He's a Hall of Famer. But if uh, Greg Vavra could get a shot in the CFL back in 1983, if Mason Nias of the Saskatchewan Huskies doesn't get a fair shot at it here in 2022, then uh, I got a bonus pick with someone. I'm not sure. I'm not sure who yet, but uh, I will pick it with someone. Mark it down. It's 6:21 on December 20th. You mark it down right now. Got one more segment to go coming up next. On the other side, we're going to hear from Mark Johnston, who won a boatload of money, and I'm not sure he's even received it yet. But it's still a great memory to relive. It's Mr. Hole in One, and it's coming up next here on the Sports Cage for Saskatchewan Lotteries on 6:20. The Kings of Saskatchewan Sports Talk. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Oh, yeah. Season's greetings. Five more sleeps until girl St. Nick walks through your front door. Five more sleeps until brand new underwear and brand new socks. That's what I'm talking about. Fresh out of the package, maybe a simply basic fresh white t-shirt. Slip on those socks, leave them all, or uh, leave them on all day so they leave marks on your ankles. That's what I'm talking about. That's what excitement is all about. Cannot wait to slide on those new undies. Christmas season is here. Can't wait to have the, the good old family dinner. Can't wait to have a couple arguments. Can't wait for all that. It's uh, it's Christmas season, and uh, we are in the spirit here on the Sports Cage, reliving all the best memories of 2022 on today's show, and we will be doing so for the next couple weeks here. Uh, we're just getting this thing warmed up, you know? I just got into the car here, and I just turned it on, and it's just warming up. We haven't even uh, taken off yet. We got uh, tomorrow's show, Thursday, Friday, and then next week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then on the other side of uh, January 1st, ho do I got some news for you. But I'm not going to share you the news, but I'm going to tease it because one week from today, we will be announcing some uh, very exciting news for the sports cage. And Michael Ball will have that announcement for you one week from right now. One week from right now, we will uh, be announcing the new news or the exciting news for the sports cage here in 2023. So let me put it this way. Big things are on the horizon. Big things. Big things are coming inside the cage. Your number one sports talk show in the province is the sports cage, and it's going to be back and even better next year. Cannot wait for it. Uh, to wrap up today's show, uh, we're going to go back in history here in 2022 and relive a moment that was pretty exciting for one man in particular. And that one man is Play 92's own Mark Johnston because earlier this year, he uh, picked up a golf club. He, uh, he swung it. He hit a ball. And the ball went all the way up into the air. It bounced a few times. It rolled. And it rolled some more. And then 
It stopped rolling, but not before. It went straight into the cup for a hole-in-one. Hole-in-one, baby. And not only was it a hole-in-one, it was a hole-in-one for thousands of dollars. Thousand of, thousands of dollars in which I don't think he has received yet. Maybe he has. And if he has, I still haven't received my e-transfer. He can at least send me, what, 20 bucks, 25 bucks, pay for my supper tonight? That's what I'm talking about. But let's go back in history on the sports cage and relive that conversation when Mark Johnston sunk a hole-in-one for thousands of dollars. I'll tell you what, man. I've never, ever talked to somebody that got a hole-in-one and didn't cheat. But... As we turn our attention to the Western Pizza Hotline, we will tell you that I now am in the presence of greatness from the Lynx. Mark Johnston from our uh, sister station, Play 92, who I went into the ring with last September and beat soundly in a fight. Uh, uh, he, he, okay. he, is now, he is now the owner of a hole-in-one, the seventh hole at the Royal Regina, and he wins... 50 grand. He'll take home 25. No, it's not because he's American and has to pay taxes. Uh, <laughs> some of it's going back to the foundation. Congratulations, Mark. This is all over the social media world. Tell us about, uh, you know, the tournament you were playing in and, and how this went down, man. Thanks, Bosley. Yeah, it's nice to, nice to have a boxing champion on my resume and now uh, hole in one mm. getter on my resume. You know the best thing. Cool. You know the best thing about you, man. This is the best thing about you is you never brag. Everybody says, "Oh, what a nice guy." Never brag. So you're not a <laughs> bragger. It's good. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I was golfing yesterday in a golf tournament, Jack's Max Foundation Golf Tournament, the first annual golf tournament for this foundation. It was a great day to be at the Royal Regina for it. The foundation is already doing great work in its infancy, which is awesome to see. And uh, yeah, we, uh, well, one of the, one of the other hole, uh, holes had a two year lease on a vehicle that if you get a hole in one, you would have won that. So I, I made it on the right one. It was hole number seven at the Royal. If you know the Royal, mm -hmm. it's the par three, right? When you drive into the golf course. Yep. It'd be on your right-hand side, and we get up there, and there are three witnesses there. There are four of us in our group. 158 yards, hit an 8-iron like I've never obviously hit an 8-iron before. I could barely feel the ball come off the club face. I hit it that good. Goes into the air, going right at the pin. I think I even said, I'm like, ooh, that looks, that looks good, right? And then it bounces once and disappears. Oh, wow. So what are you thinking yeah. when that happens? What are you thinking when that happens? You're like, okay, my eyes deceiving me or what? Well, I'm thinking... I think that went in, but I'm not 100% sure, right? Because that's kind of what I was thinking too. Like, are my eyes playing tricks on me, right? So, mm -hmm. of course, we're all wondering, like, did that just go in? What should we do? So the witnesses jump in the golf cart because they, of course, for insurance purposes, have to go see if the ball is, in fact, in the hole, right? Right. So I don't want them to beat me there to see if the ball is in the hole. Of course not. No, you got to be there first to witness it. Exactly. So I start running like I've never ran before to get to the green and I was using this colorful ball and as I'm running up there I'm not seeing the ball anywhere on the green and then I'm getting more excited I'm like as if this thing is in the cup I get there and I'm pretty close to looking in the cup and I could see the glow of the ball the the yellow and the orange and I look and the 
ball is in the cup and the celebration begins. It's like we just won in Game 7 overtime of the Stanley Cup. We went absolutely crazy. Okay, that's enough. I'm too jealous to keep listening to this. Too jealous. Can't do it anymore. In reality, we actually ran out of time. It's 6.30 on the dot. (laughs) And uh, that will wrap up today's show. We'll be back tomorrow. A very special edition tomorrow here on the Sports Gauge. It's not only a year in review show, but it's going to be a year in review. Where are they now? Wednesday show. So check out this guest list that I got brewing for you. Tomorrow, Packers quarterbacks coach Tom Clements will be on the Western Pizza Hotline. Gizmo Williams, the greatest kick returner in CFL history, will be on the Western Pizza Hotline. Just to name a, uh, just to name a few. I don't want to give all the the names out of the hat already. You know, you're just gonna have to tune in to see what else uh, comes. It's been a fun show. So episode two, year in review, is in the books, and we will be back tomorrow. This has uh, been a product for Saskatchewan Lotteries, the main fundraiser for over 12,000 sport and culture recreation groups. And all of our guests on today's show appeared on the Western Pizza Hotline. This holiday season, give Western Pizza gift cards out because guess what? It's the gift that's always in good taste. And I'm mighty hungry, so I'm off to Western Pizza. Double pepperoni, extra cheese, yes sirree. We'll talk to you tomorrow on The Cage, starting at 4. Today's Sports Cage has come to a close. Miss a segment? Download or stream the podcast now at sportscage.ca. Get your sports straight from the source. 620 CKRM.